Welcome to the See Me Now special edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Dr. Joy Enyanaya. She is a media scholar, and we are so excited to chat with her. She is from uh, Abia, Nigeria, and she's going to tell us all about her studies in agriculture economics. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Um, I am really honored to be here. And being at CMU on the campus has been a beautiful experience. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you you got your undergraduate and master's in agricultural economics, and you uh, recently received your doctorate in public communication and technology at CSU. And um, I have to ask, those are very different subjects. What led you, um, one, to study agriculture economics, and then two, decide to go into media? That is a great question. So... My undergraduate was in agriculture economics and my master's, and I had um, started a PhD in ag economics as well. I've always liked math, which is very interesting because when you think public communication technology, a lot of people don't, you know, associate that with math, right, at all. But um, I've always been drawn to economics and math and budgeting and making sure the math made sense. But with the agricultural side of things, I still, I don't pride myself as someone who can keep a plant alive. And so that questions, you know, um, I'm not, I don't have a green thumb. And so I just stuck with the math part, right, with the budgeting part. But I had always been interested in media, so different forms of media, um, photography, videography, graphic design, web design. Uh, those are things that in my role um, as a, I worked um, in a construction company at some point, um, I was doing those kinds of jobs with them. And when I had started my PhD, I didn't know that it was even possible to get a degree in media technologies or media communication at all until um, I met a friend of mine who was in my current department. So at Colorado State University, I had my PhD in, from the Department of Journalism and Media Communication, um, and my degree is in public communication and technologies. And she told me that um, her interest was in environmental justice. So she studied climate change. And the great thing with, um, with that opportunity is that you could tailor it to your interest. Um, and so... And she told me that I spoke with a professor in the department who eventually became my advisor. And I realized that she was also a media scholar and she studied social media platforms, um, particularly in the ways um, black people, black women um, use these platforms for multiple uses. And I got interested. I got interested in that and I applied to the program um, and I got it. And the great thing about it is it finally gave me an opportunity to merge my, so my dissertation revolves around entrepreneurship and women and business in business. And so it was a great way to marry my interest in economics and media and technologies. So it's really interesting that you said one of your 
research interest areas is about women and entrepreneurs. Can you dive into like, what is it about specifically women entrepreneurs that got you interested or why you wanted to dig into that a little bit more? Absolutely. So um, I share similar identities um, with women, business women, particularly African Nigerian business women, because I have been in that world, in that realm. Um, and there were specific challenges I had navigated um, as a woman in business. And so that was one of the biggest things that inspired my dissertation and my research is really um, identifying what those concerns are, particularly through a media um, lens and trying to address them. Can I ask, what were some of the key findings that came out of your research when it is specifically applied to women entrepreneurs or Niger- Nigerian women entrepreneurs more Absolutely. specifically? Yeah. So what I um, was looking to understand was the way Nigerian Igbo women fashion designers, specifically um, the ways they perform their identities in digital spaces, particularly on Instagram, um, and how they navigated gender issues, right, in their day-to-day lives, not just in their businesses, but within culture. And so um, one of the things that I had found was a lot of them connected um, um, some gender issues that they had experienced that was as a result of them being women. So, for example, they had mentioned that they experienced difficulty renting spaces um, because some of the pe- people wouldn't rent, wouldn't allow women to rent spaces, particularly single women. In fact, one of the designers, she wasn't married, and she said um, at some point she, you know, she wanted to rent a store for her business, and nobody would rent to her until she asked a friend to pretend to be her partner who was a man and then immediately she was able to get a space um, and then another um, I like to think of them as co-researchers um, the people that I had conversations with um, they had she had mentioned that she was married and she was trying to register her business however she was just getting such a hard time um, until she brought her husband to come into that situation and immediately all the roadblocks melted away and she was able to register her business. So, you know, things like that, just navigating um, their businesses. And when we think about it economically, it's impacting on them um, and it's affecting their financial well-being, um, all these gender issues, roadblocks that they were navigating on their day-to-day lives. Dr. Anyanaya, you are here to give a well, you're here on campus to give a, a speech today to language, literature, and mass comm um, departments. It is um, their lecture series. I know that you are the third and final speaker in that lecture series. And I think you bring such a unique perspective to this because, you know, before we were uh, recording here offline, we were chatting about African feminism and how maybe there is a difference between feminism in the U.S. and feminism um, in Africa or Nigeria, where you come from. Can you hit on maybe the differences and some similarities that exist there? Absolutely. Um, I'll start with the similarities, right? Because overall, the goal of feminism is that every person, um, regardless of the identities that they carry, is treated equally, 
right? There's equity. Um, and people who are historically marginalized are centered, right? That's the whole goal of feminism. Um, but with African feminism specifically, which was one of the um, tenets of the theory that I had created during the course of my dissertation, is that just like intersectional feminism, um, the goal is not to bring down any member of the society or the community, is to make sure that everyone is uplifted um, and people who have experienced marginalization um, are brought to the center, are centered, and their needs are highlighted uh, within the society. And so as we think about, uh, particularly with hegemonic white feminism, um, um, with work, for example, a lot of white women who actually started Western feminism, um, they were pushing back against the restrictions on them to have a right to work, to vote, to drive a car, etc. Um, however, when we think about African women historically, the culture we African women typically have always worked um, within their household, they have combined. Um, having careers or having to work in the farm, for example, um, with, you know, childbearing and being running the family and just carrying all those multiple responsibilities. And so sometimes when we think about solutions, right, to for different women, it might not apply to everyone across the board. And so it's important to be specific and to highlight women based on their specific needs. I love that you've been able to have this experience, you know, of growing up in Nigeria, and then you've been here in the United States for quite a few years now. And I, I assume you've got this unique perspective, probably on a lot of different topics and issues. And I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about media economics. And so we often think of the United States as really being a leader in this space. You know, we own a lot of the social media companies, a lot of the big broadcasting companies. But I'm curious from your perspective, do you see the United States as a leader? And how does that compare to your experiences in Nigeria? That is a great question. So um, yes, we do. We do recognize that the United States does create a lot of, a lot of the digital platforms that is used globally. In fact, that was one of the um, inquiries that I had, particularly with, with Instagram. So my dissertation focused on Instagram, right? And when you think about it, this is a platform that was created um, not by African people, not by African technology users, not by Nigerian users. However, the ways that they approach these platforms and use it might differ. And so a lot of my curiosity, particularly with the theory, is that in what ways, how is technoculture, right? So that is that combination of technology and culture. How does that impact media use? And how do we understand it? Because the ways that probably it was you know, um, meant to be used might not be how people are using it. People are people who are from different parts of the world might be adapting it to their own culture. And I think it's important to study that. It's really interesting because not not only is it used differently in different cultures and with different genders, but then it's changing and evolving so rapidly. So it almost seems like a huge task to even stay on top of all of that because every day there's new changes and adaptations and new platforms coming out. 
That is correct. Yes, I just found out about this new platform from, so I currently teach a course at CSU. Um, it's called Women of Color in the U.S. And a lot of the students in my class are Gen Zers, right? And they taught me about Be Real. And I was like, that is cool. That is such an interesting platform. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, we got new research area, right? This is something to explore and to understand um, how people who are not from here are using it in what ways. And when you think about it, some of the affordances on other platforms, you know, it doesn't have that. So like the filter, this is asking you to be authentic and real and, you know, there's no filters. And then it's taking front and back camera. So things like that, for sure. Um, it's what gets me excited about my job is that I get to really think about um, new digital technologies and how people are using it. It's interesting you mentioned Be Real. I have one of my good girlfriends. She has a daughter who's 13 and she introduced me to it. And this is what made me feel old because I was like, I do not, if I'm taking the photo, I don't want to be in the photo. And if for the first maybe not the first time, but one of the very resounding areas where I was like, yes, I am getting older and I am moving much farther away from that Gen Z. <laughs> Talking about um, online and social media outlets, and then if we can move towards activism, because when we think of activism historically, of course, we're thinking of people walking down the streets, holding up signs. Uh, now there is uh, such a, a big presence of digital activism You've done some research in that area, and I'd, I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on that and what you found. Absolutely. That's a great question. So I think that um, with activism, there is no one way to do it, right? Um, there are different approaches, um, and people ultimately create the, the ways that they want to do it. So personally... Um, because I'm motivated with, okay, how are we thinking about marginalized identities, right? Um, how are we thinking about, say, women, for example? How are we thinking about queer identifying folks, right? Um, people who are historically marginalized. How are we thinking about these core issues that we're having to navigate every day? And how are we um, creating awareness especially with intersectional identities, because there are people who carry identities that make them to be further marginalized, right? Um, and experience just things harder than other people. Um, and so my approach to activism is through education. That's one of the reasons I decided to um, be in the space, to be an academic um, scholar, to be be in the classroom and shine a, a light on all of this issue and evoke conversations. Because I know that, you know, when people come together and read and are enlightened, they're able to take it back to their families and have these conversations. Sometimes they might be uncomfortable, right, around the dinner table, and that's okay. Um, there are people who would rather go out on the street to protest, right? And that's great. There are people who would use digital platforms to do that. And so, like I said, I think everyone's path to activism is different. Um, my approach is typically through education and mentorship. As Kelsey mentioned, you're here visiting today to speak to the CMU campus community as part of our language, literature, and mass comm departments lecture series. Um, and I'd be curious to know that after you give 
these lectures or even in your classroom at CSU, what are the types of questions and conversations that you're having with students today around whether it's media economics or African technoculture? I'd be really curious to hear what students are asking and saying. Hmm, that's a great question. Um, most of the time, it's so typically when I teach, I like um, conversation style. I like open discussions. Um, I like to throw out probing questions and help us really, you know, navigate around it. So I'll give a specific example. So I had the opportunity to lecture at Dr. Kinney's class um, and I shared a part of my dissertation. And the big overarching question is, okay, part of the findings was that you know, when we had identified the issues with Nigerian Igbo women and gender issues and, you know, how they experienced that and how that could potentially impact in their businesses, um, I had asked the designers, you know, how do you use your platform to call awareness, to create awareness about these issues or to call out these issues? And none of them said they did, right? Um, some of them said they the biggest theme that came up was they were concerned about cyberbullying because they knew that if people attacked them on, you know, social media, it could ultimately impact negatively on their businesses. So they were not willing to do that. And so one of the questions I had asked uh, Dr. Kinney's students was, how do we go from here? How do we make sure the platforms, yes, I know there are affordances that um, Instagram, for example, is coming up with. I think literally this came up two years ago with the restrict um, affordance where you could monitor who was um, whose comment you wanted to allow, right, on your content. Um, but is there a way? How else could we do this um, to just make it safer for people to come out and share stories? And I know that Instagram also has a direct messaging affordance on it. Um, and so I was curious to know if maybe setting up groups within those chats um, could create some sort of a safe space for women to just come together and chat and really talk about these issues. Because I don't think um, Instagram has that group function like Facebook, right, um, or other digital platforms. So it got me thinking. And so those are the kinds of questions that I typically ask. And sometimes they have they don't have a straight answer. Um, in fact, one of the students had said, you know what, that's something that I don't know. And it's okay. And that just causes us to really think a little bit more deeply, right? Um, do we need to create more platforms? Or how can we suggest and recommend um, the platforms that exist to create that more equitable, particularly for people who are using these platforms within culture? You were in a transition period heading to uh, a university in, in Canada here shortly for a new, a new gig. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, I, I know that this lecture series really focuses on bringing in uh, creative voices and um, unique scholarly perspectives. And with you, I, I think you are paving this, paving the way for so many women and women of color who are maybe thinking, wait, this area or this um, academic level of prestige is not for me, but then they see you and you are just a phenomenal example of, of what can be and what is. How are you reaching down and lifting other women back up? Now you got me wanting to cry. I'm trying not to cry because every time I think about it, I get emotional. But thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. 
Um, absolutely. It's definitely been a humbling journey. It's been hard, um, but it's been very rewarding. And so, again, you know how we talked about activism. My method is mentorship. I have enjoyed and appreciated excellent mentorship. I had highlighted Rima, right, as one of my mentors. I have, you know, my advisor, who is also a woman of color in academia, who continues to inspire me. Um, the research that I currently um, do on campus, um, the PI, in fact, all of the PIs on that study are women. And these are women that continue to motivate um, and, and encourage me and inspire me. And so I am excited um, to begin my career at University of the Fraser Valley in Canada, and I hope to inspire and motivate um, through research, through teaching, through mentorship. Well, Dr. Anyanaya, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for listening to the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.